good to sing with you guys, and I love uh, just in that second in the middle there, hearing all your voices lifted up. It's just encouraging to hear that. And I know sometimes it's um, it's just funny because you'll go places like you'll go to feuds or you go to camps or retreats, and, and people because oh the band is so loud there, and so you guys feel freer to sing. And and it's nothing different when you come into a space like this. And so I just hope you just encourage one another to sing loud and to sing uh, and just remember who you're singing to. Um, with that too, if you um, you know, see other people around you just goofing around or anything like that, or if you yourself are goofing around during worship time, just, just realize, like, you're taking away something for somebody else, not just for yourself. You're creating a distraction for other people, and so we don't want you to do that. This is a place that we want you to feel comfortable walking into, but we also want people to be focused on Christ, not on people who are just goofing around. So if that's you, just 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 be mindful of the people around you, um, and don't lose an opportunity for yourself either uh, to, to meet with the Lord. A um, couple of announcements real quick. We have connect groups this uh, Sunday night, um, as usual. Uh, the Fall Fest, Family Fall Fest, October 30th is coming up in two weekends. Um, I think a lot of groups are meeting up and getting uh, some designs and some ideas together, including the sixth grade boys, which I'm really excited about seeing how that ends up happening. Um, there may or may not be a potato costume. Is that correct? I'm pretty excited to see that one. So, um, it, Basically, sixth graders are doing their own trunks. Guys and girls are each doing their own. Other middle schoolers are doing their own trunks. And then high school, you guys are doing trunks too. So just get with your friends if you don't know what we're talking about. Or find a leader and they can help you um, just kind of come up with uh, some of those ideas. Finally, the other announcement is the fall retreat. We're filling up. Um, so make sure to get signed up. If you haven't already bugged your parents enough, it's on the website. Just go to the church website. You can go to that website up, up there. It's a student's hyphen fall retreat or you just go to the church website and anywhere you see students whether you click on high school or middle school or just student ministry you'll see there's a button for the fall retreat that you can sign up for so we want you guys to come with us november 4th through the 6th it's gonna be a blast at camp caraway again this year we're gonna have a lot of fun and hopefully we get some good weather and it's not as freezing as it has been the last two days okay i hate the cold weather guys i mean i, I i'll take 100 percent humidity any day of the week all right if you have your Bible, um, you can open up to First uh, John chapter two. We're going to be um, over the, in the second chapter, and kind of uh, an interesting passage that we're going to spend a little bit of time in tonight, and then uh, the following verses over the next two weeks. Also, I forgot to mention uh, real quick. I didn't have it on the slides, but uh, next Wednesday is a Reach Night as well. Last, it should be the. That's right, right? Last Wednesday of October is next. Okay, October is a weird month, guys. It's messing with me. But next Wednesday is a reach night, so that just means we start at 6.30, we end at 8.30, um, and after worship uh, around 7.30, we'll have food and we'll have activities and stuff like that. So bring a friend, um, it'll be a lot of fun for reach night next, next week. All right, so I'm going to put a guy's picture on the screen. A lot of you guys are going to know him, but some of you guys may not, and so that's okay. I don't want you to, but I'm a huge sports person. I love sports, and so I'm going to put this guy's picture on the screen, just the single photo of a headshot. He's not in uniform, and so you may or may not know this guy. There he is. Oh, yeah, we got some people who know LeBron James. Yeah, uh, that is LeBron James. If you didn't know, he plays basketball. Thumbs down on LeBron. We have strong feelings about LeBron. I don't really love LeBron James. I'm just going to use him as an example. So funnel your feelings to help you remember this example. How about that? Funnel the feelings to help you remember the example. Um, LeBron James is something before some of you guys may have been even born. Um, in 2010... His contract with his hometown team, the team that drafted him, the Cleveland Cavaliers, had expired. He had the ability to sign anywhere he wanted. He could go back home, he could stay where he had been playing, or he could leave. He could go to another place and play basketball for another team. 
So he thought it'd be a great idea in 2010 to essentially have this TV special called The Decision. First of all, can we just say, no biases aside, you have to be pretty into yourself to have a television show that is all about where you're going to work your next job. I mean, that, that's essentially what this television show was. It was like an hour-long show of him sitting on a bar stool next to another guy in this, like, hotel lobby talking about where he's going to play basketball next. And it'd be like me saying, all right, guys, hey, I'm on the market. I'm going to take a new job somewhere. And uh, I want you guys to come all watch, and I'm going to have a bunch of people there, and I'm going to get paid a lot of money for this to be on national television to tell you where I'm going to go play basketball next. I mean, that, that's crazy. But anyway, it's called The Decision. And he changed everything when on July 8th, that day, during that television show, he said eight simple words. And those eight simple words were, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. And then he followed up by saying, I'm going to play for the Miami Heat. And he looked like that. And people started cheering and clapping and all this other stuff. But then some other people took to the streets. Go ahead and show him the next picture. There's LeBron in his new Lakers uniform. But he's changed teams a bunch of times because he does that. All right, keep going. Here we go. This is what a couple people thought. I've got a LeBron James jersey because I'm just going to set fire to it because he has betrayed me. I paid money for this jersey, and now, so this is literally what people in Cleveland did. They were, there were photos. This is the first time it had ever been done, by the way. People do this all the time now, and they think it's really cool to set fire to jerseys of people who leave their sports teams. LeBron James started it all, so thanks, LeBron, for giving us something great. Um, but this is what happened when he did that. I think sports is really interesting. Why I like sports so much is not just because of the competition. It's a lot of fun. I like playing sports. But I think sports is sometimes a window into who we are as people a lot of times. And what this, I think, tells us is we get really upset. We get really hurt. And pardon the pun. You ready? Pun alert. Okay. We even feel burned. Oh. <laughs> Taking my talents elsewhere. Thanks. <laughs> to South Beach. No. Um, where it's warmer than North Carolina right now. Um, no, we feel quite burned or betrayed when people leave the things that we love. People in Cleveland love their basketball team, and he was one of their own. Like, he grew up in the city of Cleveland. He was from there. He, he was a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, I think, and, and so he played basketball for their team. He was one of them, and then he says, I'm leaving you, and that hurts. Like, when, when we see our favorite players switching teams, there's a part of you that gets a little upset, or you just follow them everywhere. Like, if you like Tom Brady as a Buccaneers as much as you like him as a Patriot, you weren't really a Patriots fan, you just like Tom Brady. Like, that's just the reality, okay? There's some people in here who might be like that. Um, I was always a Colts fan, not a Peyton Manning fan. I didn't follow him to Denver when he played for the other team with horses, okay? So that's the difference. But here's the thing. We feel betrayed when people leave. And like I said, sports is a window to how we often act and feel. I'm just going to say this straight out. Some of you guys who are in middle school, okay, for my middle school friends, you guys are too young. My mic is doing something weird. Scary. Um, you guys are too young to maybe even have this happen in your lives where somebody that you knew who was in the church or professed to be a Christian just suddenly walked away from the church. Now, your experience to this point may be, Hey, I used to see this kid all the time on a Sunday or a Wednesday, and now I don't see them anymore. But, but you really don't know, like, what happened. So, so for you, you really haven't maybe experienced with some of the other students who maybe you've been a little older. And if you have experienced with a middle schooler, then that, that's, that's just your unique situation. But I think for a lot of high school students, you guys have lived a little longer, 
And you guys are probably on the social media game, and you have seen other people who have graduated from this ministry or graduated from this church or the school that's attached to this church, and now you see them at college, and they're essentially just going crazy. And you're like, man, are they even living for the Lord anymore? Like, I don't even know what's going on. You know, what, what are they doing with their lives right now? And, and so you've had this experience where you've seen people who have started with us, but now they are not with us anymore. And that's exactly what First John is talking about here. There's a lot of big questions that I think this book of the Bible raises. And I wanted to go through it with you guys because I think one of them that we've dealt with a lot and will continue to deal with throughout this book is one question. Are you really saved? That's one of the questions. And I have heard so many people in the last two months, both here and other places, who have, have met with me and said, I, I'm just not really sure. Like, I prayed, and I'm not sure, and I don't feel close to the Lord. Now, I'm having a lot of doubts about what my relationship with God really looks like. I think there's another question that lingers in 1 John that can plague you if you're not careful, and that is, okay, I'm saved, but will I always be? Like, I made a decision for Jesus, but will I always be this way? Because I have seen or I have heard about other people who have gone away from Christ. They have left the church, and they have gone off and done their own thing. And am I capable of doing something like that as well? And if you've ever thought that, maybe you have, and, and that might worry you. You might worry that there might be a day that you just kind of fall out of love with this whole thing. Maybe some of you are just like, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens when I get out of here, and I'm not forced to do it. And then you're going to have to make these decisions daily for yourself. Are you going to choose to follow Christ? Are you going to choose to be a part of a local church? Are you going to choose to study scripture when people aren't forcing you to do it or force feeding you it? Like, like, you seriously have to start asking those types of questions. In 1 John 2, he lays it out pretty strictly, and I think it's really clear what happens. So in verse 18, he says this, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not, they are all are not of us. Now, let me just clarify a couple things and give you a couple definitions I think that are important. Because in verse 18 especially, some of you guys, you really are into like the whole prophecy thing. And like you like when the Bible gets really weird and talks about end time stuff. And so you see the word antichrist and you're like, oh, like the evil supervillain of the Bible. He's here. Like, he has come. we got to figure out. It's like the Thanos-level event of Scripture. Like, this guy is here. Did you know in 1 John and in 2 John, the word antichrist, that's the only time it's ever used. Like, nowhere else in the Bible is the term or the wording antichrist ever used. Now, we associate that with revelation a lot of times, right? Maybe some of you guys think about revelation. Maybe you grew up on, you know, you or you've seen the Left Behind videos or books or whatever and you think of like okay there's this evil wicked person who one day is going to unite all the people of the earth and he is going to rise up and try and kill all the christians and he is the one that jesus has to come back and handle because he's the supervillain and jesus is the superhero and so that that's going to be the cosmic battle at the end of all time when he says the antichrist is coming and many antichrists have come what he is saying is not talking about some supernatural supervillain person He's just talking about anyone who literally opposes Christ, okay? So, so the idea is to stand against Christ 
And the main purpose of somebody who does that is to deceive other people. So this person would be a liar. They would take the truth and oppose it and stand against it. And they would try to deceive other people into feeling the same way. Okay, so, so this isn't super weird. This isn't some like supernatural supervillain who shows up. This is just John saying, you know that there are people among you who have sat next to you in church, who have done Bible studies with you, who, dare I say, okay, because this has happened, there have been people who have been baptized in a church, and then you saw that they left us and they were not of us. They now oppose the name of Jesus. That happens. Now, again, for some of you, that might strike a little bit of anxiety up in you. I think this is really important to hear that the Bible is clear in telling us that not everybody who sits in church, who goes to Bible study, who says all the things, who comes down and prays a prayer or lifts their hands in a dark room at church when the pastor says to do that, actually walks with Christ. I think that's important to understand. The other thing I want to define for you is the last hour, he says. So what does that mean? Again, are we getting kind of crazy prophecy? Like, is, is it the end times? Is Russia about to nuke everybody because they didn't get Ukraine? And so that's the one that the locust talking about in Revelation. Is that what he's talking about? Is that about to happen now, Pastor Kyle? No, probably not now. But it could. Apparently, did you know, I, and I don't keep up with some of this crazy stuff because I'm not into that, but a couple of weeks ago, the world was supposed to end. Is anybody aware of that? We're still here. Uh, I don't know. These people who make these prophecies and they, they think that it's all crazy. Maybe it's actually not Russia. Maybe it's North Korea. I don't know. Um, but, but hey, listen, this is not what he's talking about when he says the last hour. The last hour in scripture, and it's used in other terms as well, is essentially the period of time, ready, get this, from when Jesus left the earth after he was resurrected and ascended back into heaven in Acts to the time that Jesus returns at the end of all time, which none of us know the time the place, or the hour. We don't know it. So everything in between those two events, Jesus going back to heaven and Jesus coming back to earth, everything that happens between those two events, the scriptures would tell you, is the last hour. You're living in that right now. John's people that he was writing to were living in it then. So, so it's a t period of time that it does not mean that, you know, oh my goodness, we're 60 minutes away from Jesus coming back. No, it is a span of time between when Christ ascended to when he returned. 2 Peter 3.3 3 will define it this way. I think this helps. Knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. He uses the phrase last days. John says we are in the last hour. Same idea. These people come with scoffing. Scoffing would be opposing the name of Christ, opposing God's word and who God is. So it would be essentially laughing at or taking what is said in this book and saying, I oppose that, I don't believe it, I reject that. And so what Peter is saying is in agreement with what John is saying is that in the last days, people will reject or oppose God's word, they will oppose Christ, and then what they will do is they will follow their own sinful desires. This is where we are today. And this is why some people walk away. Some people walk away because they fall in love with the world, which is really important because last week we talked about this in verse 17, that John is trying to get people away from the things of this world, right? He says the desires of the, of the flesh, right, or the pride of life, all these things, these things are just of the world. What does he say in verse 17? I'll read it for you. 
The world is passing away along with these desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. But there's something attractive about the world that pulls people in. There was a guy named Demas. You may not even know who Demas is. His name appears three or four times in the New Testament. Demas was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. Okay, Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament in your Bible. Okay, so he had a lot of missionary companions. Demas was a guy who started out with Paul. Paul talks about him a couple times in different letters in Colossians, and another time in another letter, and he's referencing Demas as well. And he talks about this guy as a friend, as somebody who's helping him in his ministry. But then, when you get to 2 Timothy 4, which is the, one of the last letters, actually is the last letter that Paul wrote, he's essentially kind of doing his last will and testament in 2 Timothy, he mentions to his young friend Timothy that something has happened to Demas. And he says this, For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Paul says, I had this friend, and he has now left me. Why did he leave me? He's fallen in love with the world. The world has got a hold of him, and he is not turning back. And he's deserted me and gone off to the city of Thessalonica, which was a city where if you were into things of this world, rampant sin, you could get it in Thessalonica. I heard this quote come from a guy. I'm not going to give him the credit of um, telling you who said it because this guy happens to be quite popular right now. He started out as a believer, and he has a quite a following in different social media platforms. But he came a couple years ago and said, I don't longer believe in Christ. He did what the new hip thing to say is he deconstructed his faith. And so this is what he concluded. He said, it's not so much what happens after you die, but it's what happens while you're alive. Now, that's the type of thinking that Demas got caught in. That's the type of thinking that says, I'm so in love with what I see right here in the present that I don't care about what happens to me in the future. Because does that really matter? Probably not. Some of you guys might not like to think of eternity. The, the furthest you would like to think of eternity is, okay, I'm just going to go to the place where there's no more crying, no more pain. I don't want to go to the place where there's flames and fire. That sounds bad. But, but beyond that, eternity is going to be so much more than what you see here. But this guy who, who said this, he says, it's not who cares what happens after you die? You have to do something now. It matters what happens while you're alive. And that's the type of thinking that Demas had. He was in love with this present world. People walk away from the faith. They do. Why do they do it? Well, they, they fall in love with the world. They see all the things around here, and they think it's better than Christ. Now, I'll be honest. The way that I interpret Scripture, I would tell you that if somebody truly, and we're going to get to this at the end, if somebody walks away from the faith, and they oppose Jesus, and they say, no, 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 like, I used to follow that when I was a kid, but then I got wiser. I went to college, and I got knowledge, and now I know other things, and I know how to basically defend against all the stuff that those guys in the Christian apologetics and philosophy things say. I, I know all those things. By the way, the guy who quoted this, he says that he read all those people, and he basically undercuts them all. And what's sad is I think a guy like that has a lot of influence and power over young people, and so if he says, oh, yeah, those guys are worthless, don't check them out, People will listen to him without ever actually reading for themselves. And that's what I, scares me. That's why I didn't want to attribute that quote to this guy. 
But here's the problem. The problem is, is that those people, if they are going to reject Christ completely, I would argue with you, they were never saved to begin with. Now, we're going to get to this at the end. Can they be redeemed? Can they be saved? Absolutely. Because I believe that once you are genuinely saved by Christ, you're always saved. You're not going to lose that. You are going to be saved. But there is some people who say they believe in Christ, but as John says, then they went out from us and we saw how they lived. If they had been one of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out and it became plain they were not with us. A lot of people don't like that. Because nowadays, that's a lot of us versus them talk. And Christianity does that. Christianity separates the two. There are people who are not believers and there are people who are believers. There's a separation. There has to be. We can't continue to get close to the world and kind of blur the line. There has to be a separation. Because you have to see a difference in the two. Here's the other reason people walk away. Jesus said this was going to happen. This is not news to Jesus. He's not like, oh my goodness, I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. I went back to heaven. And I sent my apostles and all the church to testify about me. And then there are people who talk about me, read my Bible even. And then they walk away from me. Like, what is this? I did not plan for this. He said it was going to happen before he went to the cross. Before he went to the cross. Matthew 24, he says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see what he says there? It's back to this, what have they fallen in love with? They've fallen in love with the world. Their love for Christ grew cold because they fell in love with the things of this world instead. And they walked away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the key. Now, here's what I think happens, and I, I want to get really practical with you for the last few minutes we have together. I started thinking about this because I have lived long enough that I have had friends. I've had a fr- I, I have a friend who I worked with while I was in seminary, which is, if you don't know what seminary is, it's a school that you go to after college to basically learn more about the Bible so that you can be you know, qualified or you can be ready to be a pastor or work in a church. Okay? It doesn't make you a pastor, but it helps. Okay? And I had a guy who I worked with at Liberty, and he studied a lot of the same classes that I study and all these other things. And I was watching uh, something that he posted uh, recently because he loves to blog, and, and he likes to podcast, and he loves Instagram. He's all about it. And I was watching something he posted one day, and I was literally listening to him, and he was totally taking the word of God. And basically, it was like he could have just done this with it, just, just ripped it into shreds. Because everything he was saying was totally against what Scripture says. How can a guy like that, that I studied with, how can that happen? I started to think about this. Like, how do I usually respond when I run into people in my life who I walked closely with and thought they were, were one of us? They were, they were a believer in Christ. How do I typically respond when those people walk away? The first thing I, I think of, and, and sometimes it goes with what I said earlier, I doubt that they were ever a Christian. I doubt that they, they, they really were ever saved. Part of that, maybe you respond the same way. When you see somebody walk away, you go, ah, they probably weren't ever saved. But there's a part of you, if you're like me, I'm just being honest, there's a little bit of pride in there that goes, yeah, they aren't like me. Yeah, like, I'm, I ain't going to make that mistake. I'm a, I'm a strong Christian. Like, I don't, that won't, I, I'm not going to make the same mistakes that guy made. Now, I think that's, that's a typical response. I think the other one that I've seen 
happened in my own life, sometimes I get a little curious about their decision to walk away from the Lord. Sometimes I wonder, what are they doing with their life now that they're not walking with Christ? Like, did they change jobs? Are they, are they, is their family life better? Is their marriage okay? Are their friends cool? Do they have more friends? Do they have more fun? Do they have more money? Like, what are they getting to do now that they're not walking with Jesus? I get a little curious about that. I wonder, what are, what are they doing? And then maybe you're left to that natural last question. You reflect on yourself. Well, if they did it, maybe I could too. Like, could that actually happen to me? Would, would that actually be something that could happen to me? I don't know. It, it, maybe you have different reactions, but I think those are some of the common ones that happens when people walk away. And so I don't want to leave you here tonight because I think some of the things that can happen and, and some of the things that I want to actively pray against, honestly, is that some of you guys, when you wrestle with some of those questions that we talked about at the beginning in First John, like the one about, like, am I really saved or could I end up walking away from the faith like clearly some other people have done? There are some of you guys that there will be a fear that grips you and there will be a guilt that, that hinders you. And I don't want that to happen. I want to keep it real with you, but I also don't want guilt to cripple you. And so I want you to know that you can endure. That if you are walking with Christ now, it doesn't mean that the world's going to come at you and you're going to one day fall in love with the world. That, that there is something that's going to hold on to you. And it's not about how hard you're holding on to Christ. It's about how well he's holding on to you. Maybe for some of you that scares you because that takes a lot of the control out of your hands. Your salvation is not in your hands. Fundamentally, it's not in your hands. Your placement in Christ is not fundamentally in your hands. Some of you guys may, this may go against everything you've been taught, but I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you from Scripture that this is not what it means. You pray the prayer, you get saved, then you work really hard to stay in Christ. That's not how it works. Jesus saves you when you pray and repent of your sin, and you, you ask him to be your savior. You proclaim him as, as your savior, and then he holds on to you and carries on the work that he started in you. Is there things that you're responsible to do? Absolutely, there's human responsibility. You don't just get to sit back and just go, oh, <laughs> Jesus is going to take care of it all. No, you have to actually work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2. However, it's not up to you to stay in Christ. He will make sure that you stay in him. That's right in the next couple of verses from 1 John chapter 2. It says this, but you, this is what John wants to get at. He wants to help encourage those who are worried. Well, some walked away. Could that happen to me? But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. I think it's really important that he starts this off by saying children. He addresses them as young people, young in your faith, or, or people that he dearly loves as children. What he is trying to tell you is that even if somebody who and I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying this is happening because I, I believe that Pastor Rob is a godly man and God is working in his life and saved him. But, but let's just say, hypothetically, let's say Pastor Rob just up and left one day, walked out after years of ministry here at this church, 20-some plus years at this church. He just said, you know what? Everything I've been preaching, it's all wrong. I'm walking away from this. I have found that this is the truth now. And he walked away from it. If that were to happen, John says, 
children, there will be some who leave, even leaders, even godly people who you looked up to for a long time, even people who you thought had it all figured out. But even if they leave, you, don't worry about them, you, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have what you need in Christ. You have the correct knowledge. You have the truth. You don't need what they have. You don't need their opinions. You don't need their words. You don't need their teaching. You need this. Now, is that meaning that teaching and, and godly pastors and all those things are not valuable? No, absolutely not. You need leadership in your life, but it's saying that if somebody falls away, you are not going to fall away. Your faith is not contingent on somebody else. I want you guys to realize that how can we endure? We can endure because the truth was given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't seize the truth. You weren't smarter than the people next to you. It wasn't just because you had godly parents who, who made you memorize scripture, and then you got into Awana and memorized more scripture. It wasn't just because of that that that's what saved you. No, Christ entered into your life. He gave you the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying in verse 20. You were anointed by Jesus. He chose to give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy One, and he leads you into a knowledge of the truth and knowing Christ more. That's where you got this knowledge from. It wasn't yours that you grabbed. It wasn't given to you by people. It was given to you by Christ. So if you know that it was given to you by him and not by other people, then it's up to him to hold on to it. He's the one who's maintaining it. And if he gave it to you and he doesn't fail and he doesn't tire and he doesn't break, he doesn't die, he doesn't decay, then that truth that was given to you is everlasting just like he is given to you by the Holy Spirit. Begs the question though, do you own your own faith or are you just renting it from someone else? I have lived in a couple rentals and the house that we live in that some of you guys have visited is the first home that I've ever owned as an adult. There's a big difference between renting and owning. Big difference. From the outside, if you would have seen the townhome that I used to live in or the apartment that I lived in before that or the apartment before that, you could walk from the outside and go, oh, wow, nice place you got there. It's yours, right? From the outside, you think, yeah, yeah, it's mine. But when stuff broke in the house, guess what? I didn't have to pay for it. It's really nice, okay? I called this really, like, awesome number. Sometimes people were a little bit more helpful than others, but they came and fixed stuff. My refrigerator breaks, hey, yo, I need a new fridge. That's the beauty of renting. You know what happens when you own a house? Your refrigerator breaks, you go to Home Depot, and you basically empty your wallet and hand it over because you need a refrigerator, right? So, so there's a difference. If I rent something, I don't really have that much to it. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. But when I own something, man, I, I have to take care of it. I, I am the one who's on the hook for it. I am the one who has to make sure that everything is where it needs to be. Some of you guys, I don't want you to be stuck renting your faith from somebody else or leasing it from someone else. Your faith is only as far as because you've got these friends who have kind of walked with you and showed you who Christ is. But, but what if those friends walk away? Some of you guys, your faith is just handed down to you from a generation above you, but you have never really thought through for yourself what do you truly believe about Scripture? What do you really know yourself about Christ? Don't rent. Don't rent your faith. If you rent your faith, you're going to walk away from it because you don't really own it. It doesn't matter that much to you. Listen, when stuff happened in our apartment, when kids spilled anything on the carpet, 
<laughs> I'm probably not going to live here in a couple years, prayerfully. So that's not my problem. That's how I look at it. You smell stuff on my carpet now? Oh, man, that's mine. I got to clean that. If I don't clean that, it's going to be there forever. Dog, why did you use the carpet as the bathroom? I live here. Right? Matters more to you when you own it. Your faith will matter more to you when you own it for yourself and not just piggyback off somebody else. Don't rent your faith. The truth was given to you, to you. Wasn't given to your parents, wasn't given to your teachers, wasn't just given to Pastor Kyle, and you're like, oh man, he he loves Jesus, and so I, I just listened to him, and so I, no, I hope that my passion and my knowledge of scripture pours out and gets you invested so you explore it for yourself and you make it your own. I don't want you to get this for yourself. Try to make it accessible to you so you can take hold of it for yourself. How can we endure? Here's the other way, and we're done. You need to guard yourself from scoffers. We said earlier that in the last days, scoffers are going to come along. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here's what a scoffer does. They oppose everything that Christ says he does. They oppose the truth of Scripture. And you guys all know there are people like this. There are videos like this. There's a lot of content out there that you can sit and you can just take in. And if you're not careful, there will be moments where your flesh is weak. Your heart is failing and you will listen to some of that and you might start to buy into it at some level. Don't hang out with that. Don't, don't, don't sit in the seat or in the presence of scoffers and just fill up on the stuff that they're giving you. If it's not true about who Christ is. Some of you guys hang out with people who constantly mock or oppose Christ. You spend more time with them, honestly, it's going to affect you. You're not Teflon. It's going to stick. At some level, it's going to stick to you. Don't, don't spend time with them. Guard yourself. Paul said this in Acts 13, 38. He was preaching to a bunch of people who didn't believe in Christ. He said, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, you who don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is or Jesus is the only way. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. You sit with scoffers too long, even when you hear God's word preached, you may not know or may not believe when one tells it to you, because you have saturated your mind with the things that this world throws at you, the things that are not true. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. How should we respond to those who walk away? So, so maybe you have a friend, or maybe this happens to you in the future. How do you respond to one who walks away? I'm, I'm going to just use one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and we're done. 2 Timothy 2. First, you should correct the person with gentleness. Here's what it says. It says, correct. The, this is talking about the Lord's servant. What should the Lord's servant be? The Lord's servant should correct his opponents with gentleness. So the first thing is to correct them with gentleness. Don't just come at them and be like, how oh, could you? I can't believe you betrayed us like that. You were once one of us, now you're not one of us. But correct them with gentleness, meaning you call out the things that are incorrect or false in their life, but do so with gentleness, care, and love. Why do you do that? Because in the next verse, 
or the next part of the verse, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do as well. The second thing that you see in this verse is what else you do. So you correct them, but also pray for change. You need to pray that God would do the work in them. Your correction is not going to save them. It may be used by God to change their heart, but ultimately God's the one who's going to save them. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. And then finally, don't lose hope. In that last part of the verse, it says that they could escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Don't lose hope that if someone walks away from the faith, that they cannot return. The prodigal son returned. There's always a way back. If there's still breath in your lungs and your heart is still beating, there is an opportunity for that person to turn back. Don't lose hope. Pray persistently for them. Ask God, beg God to save them. They may not turn back, but you continue to see that God can remove people from the snare of the devil. How do you know that to be true? Because nobody is too far removed to be saved. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't lose hope. There is nobody who is too far removed to be saved. Now, last thing I want to do is just read you one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and then we're going to pray. For those of you who might be still anxious, okay, what happens if I would, were to walk away one day? What if I'm one of those people? I'm going to leave you with Jesus' own words and his promise in John 6, 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says he will lose nothing that has been given to him. If you are his, you will not be lost. You will not be lost. He will raise you up on the last day. It is the will of his Father that everyone who looks on him and believes in him will have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time together. This is a tricky passage, Lord. I just pray that uh, anything that is unclear, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come and intervene in, in our hearts and our minds and would make it abundantly clear what your word says about those who do walk away, those who oppose you. They started out with us and then walked away. God, help us to understand how to navigate those things. There's tricky, there's pain, there's hurt with those things. God, may our faith be our own, though, not reliant on someone else. May we see you and fall more in love with you so we don't fall into love with the world. May you increase our view of you so that we may love you more, cherish you above all things, and see you as eternally worthy of all praise, all value, and glory. God, if there is anyone who is on that verge of thinking they should walk away. God, may tonight, may this be a wake-up call to them that they would see that the things of this world are not going to last. They will perish, but you are the only thing that gives everlasting life. Lord, for those who are, are beaten down and maybe even just hurting a little bit or even just anxious about their own spiritual life, God, would you just use the words that you said in John 6 to remind them that all that the Father has given to Christ, all that you have placed into his hands, he will not lose any of them. They are safe and secure in Christ because of who you are, God. 
Not because of what we are. Not because of what we can do. Because of who you are and what you have done. Lord, we thank you so much for your strength and your goodness and your grace. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, guys. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on Sunday.